0: It is our hope that you will prayerfully listen to this sermon audio. Now while some people masquerade as gospel preachers and they want us to have our best lives now, we know that we live in a fallen and broken world. We know that trouble and misfortune are a part of living in this world. And most of us, if not all of us, we've experienced deep gut-wrenching pain in this world. Maybe that pain was the result of a of a loved one passing away. Maybe that pain was the result of a rela- of a relationship gone sour or perhaps the pain of an accident or an illness that's made left us unable to do things we once formerly did. Whatever the cause, we know that the pain is real. It's not just in our heads. It's not in our imagination. Affliction, heartache, turmoil oftentimes surround us in this life. And while they might not be everyday realities in our lives, they are there nonetheless. And so it does us no good to pretend that those things don't exist it does us no good to pretend that they're not there, because they are there. And if we pretend that they're not there, then we'll actually we'll never be prepared for the time when they inevitably show up on our doorstep. Now, I start with this this morning because the psalmist in Psalm 102, he knows something about these troubles. The psalmist also, though, knows where to turn to in the midst of those troubles. If you're in Psalm 102, say Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to read uh, the entire Psalm. It's a 28 verses, so it's not a terribly long Psalm, but follow along, please, as I read. Psalm 102, a prayer of one afflicted, when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Hear my prayer, O Lord, let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me, answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and is withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl in the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger. For you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord... He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that people yet to be created may praise the Lord. For he looked down from his holy height, from heaven the Lord looked at the earth, to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise, when peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. O oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days. You whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time you've given us. We thank you for your word. Your word that is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And so we pray now, now in the hearing of your word, Father, that you would help my words to, to give a sense of what the psalmist was saying. Father, that we might be strengthened, that we might be encouraged, that we might be shaped furthermore into the image of your son, Jesus. Lord, we pray this in his name. Amen. i titled our message this morning, Who You Gonna Call? who you're going to call, and if you're a note-taker, our central idea for this morning's message is because God is eternal, we can bring our concerns to Him. Because God is eternal, we can bring our concerns to Him. I want to make three points from our message, from our psalm, rather, this morning. I'll make up the message. Three points. The first point is this, is, is an introduction to the situation. We have an introduction to the situation the majority of the psalms in the Psalter tell the readers who the author of the psalm is. The author's name, it's usually found there in the superscript that comes right before verse 1. Uh, but in Psalm 102, even though it's a, actually a fairly long superscript, Psalm 102 doesn't tell us who the psalm is. And so some Bible scholars have you know, debated who the, who the author of this psalm may be. If you have a study Bible, you probably look down there in your footnotes and, and they're probably trying to guess who the, who the author of the psalm is. And while, while knowing the identity of an author can be beneficial in helping us understand the, the message of the psalm, it's not required for us to understand. If it, if it were something that were required, if it was something that we needed in order to understand the message, then the Lord God would have given us the name of the author. And so we don't know much from this particular psalm, exactly of when it was written or who actually wrote it, but we do know that this psalm is a prayer. It's both there in the superscription as well as as in verse 1. So let's look at verses 1 and 2 together. verse 1, the psalmist says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, let my cry come to you. And so right away here in these opening words, and there's actually only six words in the original Hebrew language, that sentence, six words, I want us to notice three things about those six words in this opening prayer. First, the very first word, the very first Hebrew word in this psalm is Adonai or Yahweh. Immediately, the psalmist is beginning by addressing God by his covenant name. We talked about that name many, many times here as recently as just last week, so I'm not going to go into any great detail today. But right away, we're learning learning that the psalmist is someone who is resting in a covenant relationship with God. That's why he's using that name. He's saying, I know you and you know me. God has promised himself to his people. They are in a relationship with him. They are his sons and daughters. And immediately the psalmist is seizing hold of that promise. But as I was thinking about this week, I wonder, how does that translate to us now here in the 21st century? Should we begin our prayers, if you will, with Adonai or Yahweh? Is that how we should begin our prayers? Well, when Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6, do do you remember how Jesus told us to start our prayers? Do you remember that? There, There were two words, right? We start our prayers with our Father. So we're supposed to begin our prayers with our Father. Now, now Jesus isn't giving us a formula by which to pray. He's not telling us that if we start our prayers with any other words other than our fa- Father, that our prayer is null and void. That's not, not what he's saying. But rather what Jesus is doing is he's reminding us that when we pray, we need to remember that we're praying to someone with whom we already have a relationship God is our Father. We're in relationship with Him. We've been adopted into His family. He belongs to us and we belong to Him. And so the psalmist begins his prayer using that covenant name, that most holy name of God, for the exact same reason. The psalmist knows that he has a relationship with God. And beloved, when we pray, we ought to know that we have a relationship with God. Second, from those opening words, the second word in the psalm, immediately after the covenant name of God, is the word "here." Here In Hebrew, it's the word shema. Have you been listening to my preaching over the years? You've heard that word over and over again. It's the same word that's used in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, where we read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That verse is often referred to as the Shema because we are commanded to hear or we're commanded to pay attention to the fact that the Lord is our God and that the Lord Himself, He is one. It's the exact same word used in both places, both in Deuteronomy as well as here in Psalm 102. But there's one very, very important distinction. In Deuteronomy, we're the ones who are commanded to hear We're the ones who are commanded, pay attention. But here in Psalm 102, the psalmist is telling God, here, the psalmist is telling God, pay attention. Now imagine the temerity or the chutzpah, all right, that's required, the audacity to tell God Himself, pay attention to my prayer. But, beloved, we need to understand that the psalmist here, he's not being disrespectful to God in any way. This is, it's not a matter of disrespect. We should rather read this as God, or as rather the psalmist pleading with God, pleading with him, hear my prayer. You know, sometimes we think more highly of ourselves than we should. Sometimes we think that just by virtue of who we are that we should be able to command a meeting with somebody that's very important. You know, doesn't that person know that my tax dollars pay his salary? Therefore, you know, I called his office and he wouldn't even meet with me. You know, that, that's the way we act. Like, like we deserve that meeting. The psalmist, however, understands that even though he's in a covenant relationship with God, God isn't obligated by necessity To hear his prayers. In other words, God would still be God, even if he chose not to listen to our prayers. He doesn't listen to our prayers because he has to. He listens to our prayers because he wants to. And don't you know that is a tremendous difference? And it's a glorious difference. So he does listen to our prayers, but because he wants to listen to us. And so this language of hear my prayer on the part of the psalmist is the psalmist pleading with God to do what he delights in doing. Brings us to a third point from these opening words. The psalmist calls his prayer here a cry. Almost all of our English translations use that word cry. Uh, one or two translations will set, call it pleading. But, it, but of course, by crying, he, he's not referring to what happened you know, like with weeping, with tears. That's not what he's talking about. But he's talking about crying as in crying out for help. So if you found yourself hanging off the edge of a cliff and the only thing that was keeping you away from sure and certain death was your stranglehold grip that you had on an exposed root, I promise you, in that moment, you are going to cry for help. That's what the psalmist is doing right now. He's got a stranglehold grip on reality and everything is falling apart in his life and he is crying To God for help. And so here's my point. This this prayer that we're reading this morning, it's not some nice little bedtime prayer. Not that there's anything wrong with nice bedtime prayers, okay? There, There is a place for nice bedtime prayers, but this is not that prayer. This is a prayer of desperation. It's a cry for help. Have you ever been there, beloved? Have you ever been in that situation where you cry to God for help? The psalmist goes on in verse 2, pleading with God not to hide his face. He he finds himself, he says, in a day of distress. Things are looking bleak for him. He needs the assurance. He needs to know that God is with him. He needs to know that God hasn't abandoned him. And so he asks the Lord, please incline your ear to my prayer. And not only that, notice there at the end of verse 2, the psalmist is looking for a speedy answer. He says, answer me speedily in the day when I call. I, I've been there as well. Now, we know that God's timetable doesn't always line up with our timetable, right? You know, the Bible tells us that a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day in, in, in the Lord's reckoning. And so the psalmist may or may not have his request heard in a manner that he deems speedy but simply the fact that he's requesting a speedy hearing, it tells us something about his frame of mind, right? The psalmist isn't praying about some decision that's three, four, five months down the road. He's not even praying about something that's three, four, five weeks down the road. He is in a moment of urgency. And please, God, hear me. Please answer me and answer me quickly. That's point number one. Point number two is we're going to see in greater detail now the psalmist's despair. The psalmist's despair. This is in verses 3 through 11. We see the psalmist's despair. Now, take a moment, just follow along as I, as I call out different verses and look and listen to some of the words that the psalmist is using to describe his situation. In verse 3, he says, His days pass away like smoke, and his bones burned like a furnace. In verse 4, he's struck down and withered. In verse 5, it's groaning. And in verse 6, he's in a wilderness and in waste places. In verse 7, he's like a lonely sparrow. And in verse 8, his enemies taunt him. They deride him and they use his name as a curse. In verse 9, he eats ashes. Never done that. That doesn't sound very tasty. Verse 10, he's taken up and thrown down. And then again in verse 11, he withers away like grass. Now again, I don't don't know about you, but this sure doesn't sound like someone who's experiencing his best life right now. This psalmist, his entire world has been turned upside down. Have you ever been there, beloved? Have you ever been in that situation that, that no matter which way you turn, every way you turn, it looks bleak. I've been there, I have, I've been there. It's not not a pleasant place to be. But to make matters worse, the psalmist even appears to be attributing the circumstances of his life to God. He seems to be saying, God, you're you're the one that's to blame. Look with me at verses 9 and 10. In verses 9 and 10, he says, For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of and remember, he's speaking to God because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. Now, place yourself in the shoes of this psalmist, psalmist for a moment. Try, try to try to feel his pain. You know, he's not simply voicing his understanding of the sovereignty of God. And, and while I'm on that point, let me pause for just a moment, because it's good that we understand the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God teaches us that nothing happens in this universe without God's knowledge and control. God is the supreme authority and everything that happens is under his control. He does all things well and according to his perfect will. That's the sovereignty of God. And it's a gloriously true and comforting doctrine. But the psalmist is going beyond this. In his mind, not only are the things that are having him under God's control, that is, under his sovereignty, but he's also saying that God is actively bringing these things about through his indignation and through his anger. Do you you see that right there in verse 10? So what, what gives? Is the psalmist actually, is he blaming God for his circumstances? Well, here's what's happening. In short, the psalmist is declaring that all of these bad things that are happening in his life, all of them, are a part of God's righteous judgment. And God's righteous judgment is falling not only on the psalmist, but is falling on all of God's people as well. And so, yes, God is expressing his indignation. And yes, God is angry. But he's expressing his indignation, his anger. He's expressing them as a means of his righteous judgment. And beloved, it's precisely this type of language that leads some people, myself included, to wonder: maybe this psalm was written in response to the exile when the when the Jews were taken out of exile and then later returned. Per- perhaps this psalm was written around the time of Ezra or Nehemiah. We 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 can't be sure. It's only speculation, but you can you can feel the angst of. Why have we been under judgment? Again, we can't be sure about that. But here's something we can be sure about. We have this psalmist, and his entire life is turned upside down. Everything is in disarray. And he even sees God's hand in his dire circumstances. But his despair doesn't end there. You would be thinking, man, how, how much worse could it get, Right? We see in his description of his circumstances that he sees his own life as somewhat ephemeral. Now, beloved, this is super, super important, really important. I want you to understand this, this idea of his ephemeral life, this transient, this, uh, this fleeting or momentary or temporal life that he is in. It's, it's really important. It's going to contrast to how the psalmist understands who God is in the latter half of the psalm. This idea of an ephemeral or a temporary life, it's how James in the New Testament describes our own lives. James tells us that our lives are but a vapor. We're here for a moment and then we're we're gone. And that's how the psalmist sees his own life. Look with me again at the text. I want you to take my word from it. It's coming straight from the word of God. Look look with me at verse 3. He says, For my days pass away like smoke. It's an interesting analogy. I've done a fair amount of camping in my life uh, with my boys and, and, and different types of camping. If, you, if, you ever, if you've ever sat around a campfire, uh, you know that the smell of that smoke is going to stay in your clothes. There's nothing you can do until you wash those clothes properly. That smell is going to stay in your clothes until you wash them. But the smoke itself is only temporal. It's just temporary. It's, it's, it's ephemeral. It's, it's here for a moment, and you look up, and, and it's gone. The smoke is gone. And the psalmist says, that's what my days are like. They're here for a moment and then they're gone. Verse 4, the psalmist declares that his heart is struck down like grass and has withered. That's another interesting word picture. Um, I like to work in the yard. Um, I, I enjoy cutting my grass. Um, but once the grass gets cut and it sits in the hot sun, it doesn't take long to wither, does it? I mean, you know, if, you, if you let your grass go a little bit too long, and so you, you go out and you cut, you don't bag, and you leave the, you leave the longish clippings there in your lawn, if the, if the sun is as bright as it's been over the last few days, by, by the end of the day, those clippings are going to look like hay, right? They're going to be completely withered by the end of the day. They will have withered. They're, they're gone. That's what the psalmist is saying. His heart is just like... Poof. Verse 11... Another word picture. The psalmist says, my days are like an evening shadow. Now what happens to our shadows as afternoon turns to evening? Well, they they start getting longer, right? Longer, longer, longer. But then as afternoon gives way to evening, we go from this long shadow to nothing. The shadow gives way altogether. Our shadow is ephemeral. It's temporary. It's fleeting. It's only here for a while. And so the psalmist is describing his own life this way things aren't going well but in the end he knows he says you know i'm only here for a little while a relatively few days and it's all going to be over this is a picture of this of the despair that the psalmist finds him in and so let's turn our attention now to the final point because the psalmist doesn't end in despair we don't want to end in despair either Point number three is the presence of God. The psalmist spends more than a half of a psalm focused on this final point. Verses 12 through 28, the psalmist is going to refer to God Himself no fewer than 30 times. In the first 11 verses, only six references to God. In the last verses, at least 30 references to God in the remaining verses. Now remember... How the psalmist spoke of his own life. His own life, right, was ephemeral. It was it was fleeting. It was only here for a while. In verse eleven, he says, his days are like an evening shadow. His he he's like withered grass. And then verse twelve begins with the greatest three letter theological word that's ever been written. But it's an awesome awesome word. He says, you know, but I'm like an evening shadow. I'm like withered grass. But You, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. Do do you see that startling contrast? We are but a vapor. The circumstances of our lives are fleeting. They're only here for a temporary, but God is eternal. He is enthroned forever. And it's not just, by the way, this generation the generation of the psalmist who's going to remember God. It's not just the psalmist's children who are going to remember God, or his grandchildren, or even his great-grandchildren who are going to remember God. The psalmist says all generations are going to remember you. You know, Conservatively speaking, this psalm was written at least 2,400 years ago, if not more, but at least 2,400 years ago, and we still, 2,400 years later, are remembering God. And if the Lord should tarry, and if people should continue to inhabit this place we call earth in another 2,400 years, I guarantee there will still be people remembering God then as well. Now here's why that's important. You see, if we get too caught up in our own circumstances, those circumstances will ultimately overwhelm us. You know, when, when all of the circumstances are, when they appear to be going well, and you know, things are like on the right track, so to speak, you know, that, that's, that's good. We're, we're, we're happy then. But when troubling circumstances begin to overtake us, and, and if we keep the focus on ourselves during that time, if we, if we fail to take a step back and to see where we're at in God's circumstances, we're going to fall into despair. And so the psalmist says, take a step back. He says, my life is in utter ruin, but take a step back and let's look at God. Let go of your present difficulties for just a moment. Let go of those difficulties and focus on how you figure into God's greater plan. You know, the world doesn't revolve around you. It doesn't revolve around me either. And so step back and to see how God is being glorified in your life. It's because God alone is enthroned forever. It's God alone who will be remembered throughout all generations. You know, I was trying to think of a good way to illustrate that fact, and so I, I came up with this. this hope, hopefully this will make sense to you. Since this church was started back in the mid-1950s, Potomac Heights Baptist Church has had a total of 11 senior pastors myself included, okay, 11 senior pastors. But I would be willing to wager, and we have some people who have been around for most of that time, I'd be willing to wager that nobody here could name all 11 of them in chronological order. Uh, okay, Ronnie says he might be able to do that. So, um, so other than Ronnie Scott, maybe nobody could do that. So, so there, there's me, Gary Willett, Jim Osborne, so that, that takes us back over 30 years just between the three of us. Can, can you name the other 11? And I'm, Don't do it out loud right now, Ronnie. You, you tell me, you prove me wrong after the service. Uh, but no looking at notes, okay? No looking at notes. You have to do it from memory. My point is, it's, it's okay. You, that's not a requirement for membership here, and it's certainly not a requirement to get into heaven that you remember all of the pastors of this church. In 50 years, nobody's going to remember my name either, and I'm okay with that. Because... The generations aren't called to remember the names of the pastors. The generations are called to remember the name of the God who's been proclaimed from this pulpit. And 50 years from now, praise God, they're still going to remember God. His name will endure for all generations. I mean, I started, started off, we don't even know the name of the psalmist, right? But we know the name of the God whom the psalmist was worshiping. And that God, according to the psalmist, look there in verse 13, that, it's that God who will arise and have pity on His people. It's that God who will favor His people. And at the appointed time, it's that God who will visit His people. Now hold on to that last thought, by the way, about visitation. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But the psalmist declares in verse 15 that not only not only will God's people remember this God, but he says even the nations, and by that, by the way, he means the pagan nations, the goyim the Hebrew word, even the nations will fear, the pagan nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear His glory. Look with me there at the text. In verse 16, he says, it's the Lord who will build Zion. In verse 17, it's the Lord who listens to the prayers of His people as they cry out in distress. In verse 18, he says, let those facts... That God is listening. That God is building up. Let those facts be recorded for a generation that hasn't even been created yet, a generation that's ultimately going to bring praise to God. You see, God is going to look down from His holy height in verse nineteen, and in verse twenty, He's going to hear the groans. This is beautiful language here. We is in that last song we sang as well. Um, He's going to hear the groans of those who have been imprisoned in this broken world, and he will set them free. Praise God that he is going to set us free. Have you ever wondered how he's going to do that? How how is he going to set the prisoner free? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. I'm going to tell you. The psalmist tells us how he's going to do it. Look with me there, verses 24 through 27, please. Uh, It says, Oh my God, I say, take me not Away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment; you will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. Now, now we're almost done. Hang hang there with me for just a moment. I want us to notice two things right here in this passage. First, notice how the, those four, how they're bookended. Uh, they're, they're bookended uh, beginning and end, that there there is no end in God. He, he's always existed, and He always will exist. There's, there's nothing that can change that. In verse 24, we're told that His years endure throughout all generations. And in verse 20, we're told that He is always the same and that His years have no end. Again, we're, we're here only for a little while. But God is here forever. And beloved, please understand. Please understand the comfort in knowing that God is eternal. That there's never been a time when He did not exist. And there never will be a time in the future when He doesn't exist. My wife and I went away um, this weekend um, to celebrate our anniversary. We've been married 27 years. Uh, 27 wonderful, wonderful years. And 27 years ago, I made vows to my wife i made promises to my wife promises that i intend with god's help to keep those promises but beloved in and in honest moments with myself i know the lord could call me home tomorrow he could call me home tomorrow and, and there would be no there would be no use in my promises i wouldn't be there to keep those promises i'm not eternal my promises have an expiration date and your promises have an expiration date, but God is eternal, and His promises have no expiration date. His promises will always be true. Second thing, notice about these verses. Verses 25 through 26 begins of old, or 20, 25 through 27, rather, of old, you laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hand. They will perish. But you will remain, they will wear out like a garment, you will change them like a robe, they will pass away, but you are the same, your years have no end. Who in the world is the psalmist talking about here? Who is he talking about? Now, the easy answer is to say, well, he's talking about God. And well, yes, he is talking about God, but there's actually a more correct answer. You, You know those multiple choice questions, choose the most correct answer, all right? Well, here's a, here's a chance where it's just, just to say God isn't enough because there's a more correct answer. Your, your Bible probably has little footnotes around verses 25, 26, and 27. Those footnotes are probably directing you to the New Testament book of Hebrews. And even if they're not, I'm going to ask you to turn there for with me for just a moment. Turn to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. It's toward the end of your New Testament. We're going to read just a short passage from Hebrews. Uh, we'll be looking at chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. If if you do have one of those red Bibles, it's on page 1,187. Okay, 1,187 in the red Bibles. But Hebrews chapter 1, and there's a reason we're reading those verses, and it'll be clear to you in just a moment. It's a beautiful, beautiful passage um, here in Hebrews chapter 1. The author of Hebrews, we don't know who the... So like the psalm, we don't know who the author of the psalm is. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is either. But the author says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, speaking of the son, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has appointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Now, verse 10, pay attention to these words. They're going to sound awfully similar. They should sound exactly like Psalm 102. Verse 10, you, Lord. Laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens excuse me, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up. Like a garment they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years have no end. Amen. And so the author of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is quoting Psalm 102 for us. And he's telling us that the psalmist is actually writing about Jesus. The psalmist is writing about God's Son. Now, do you remember the comment I made just a few minutes ago, and I said I'm going to come back to it, that, that God is going to visit His people? Well, for the psalmist, that visitation was a future tense visitation. It's a visitation that hadn't happened yet. For us, we know that God has indeed visited His people. He visited us in the person of His Son, Jesus who is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's through our faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that God's Word teaches us that we've now been adopted into His family. And because we are now His children, verse 28 tells us, back in the Psalm, verse 28 tells us that we shall dwell secure. The work that Jesus completed through His sinless life, through His death, and through His resurrection, that work has secured our relationship with the Father. Beloved, if you've already turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus, I want you to know that no matter how chaotic your life is, your life might be completely off-the-rails chaotic, but your future is secure in Christ. But there may be some of you here today who have never turned from their sin to trust in Jesus. If that describes you, I want you to know that no matter what you think of your life, your life is not secure. You might say, oh, everything's fine in my life. Your life is not secure. But your life can be secure. If you turn from the sin that is separating you from God, if you turn to God's Son in faith, your life can be secure even in the midst of a storm. And if you'd like to know more about that, I would love the opportunity to talk with you. Maybe you have brought a friend or a family member with you. They would love the opportunity to talk with you so that your life might be secure. Let's pray together. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Your Word that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, that You would use this time to mold us and shape us more and more into Your image. Father, for those of us who have trusted in Christ, Lord, help us to rest in Him, knowing that our life is indeed secure. Even in the midst of chaotic even uh, times, even in the midst of despair, our life is secure because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. Father, for those who are here today, perhaps they've never trusted in Christ, Lord. Lord, that today through the work of Your Spirit, that You might draw them unto Yourself. Lord, that they might even now where they're seated, they might wonder what, what it is about their conscience that's being drawn, that they would know that Your Spirit is working even now in their lives to draw them unto You. or that they might know the security of knowing Christ Jesus as well. I pray in His name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon audio from Potomac Heights Baptist Church. Please feel free to make copies of this audio to give to others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Potomac Heights Baptist Church.